I wonder what word comes to mind when you think of 2020 or even 2021. Is there a word that comes to mind? I mean, the obvious one is obviously COVID, but it's not the only one, right? There's plenty of words that might come to your mind when you think of the last two and a bit years. You might think isolation. You might think social distancing. You might think of Zoom or toilet paper. Remember when that was a thing? You might think of quarantining. You might think of homeschooling. You might think of masks and mandates. That's kind of just on a general level that we all can relate to, right? And we've all gone through a lot of things. But maybe on a more personal level, you might think of some things that you've been through personally. Loss, depression, isolation. I know from talking to pretty much everyone, whatever you've gone through the last two years, for everyone I've met, it's been hard, right? It's been a hard season. And so if I was going to try and sum up the last little bit in a word, I think there's a great word in our passage in James this morning, the word trials. Don't you think what James says there, trials of various kinds, kind of sums up what life has been like for all of us. And it's not as though those trials are over. I mean, I'm only preaching this morning because those trials are ongoing in our church. We had a lot of people get sick this week with COVID. And maybe you're wondering, though, where does God fit in to all this? Like, why is it that God would allow us to go through these hard things? And maybe you're wondering, well, is there any way to get through them? What do you do when, when you're racked with hardship and trials? Well, I think James 1 has a lot to say to us, and so that's where we're going to be this morning. So if you can open up, have your Bibles open, James chapter 1. Um, this is going to be really helpful, I, I pray, for us in this season of ongoing trials, which may continue ongoing. How are we going to get through it? Well, this is what James has to say to us. Have a look at verse 1. We see that James introduces himself. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as is the custom with all ancient letters, the author of this letter, James, begins by introducing himself. But we know that this James is actually James, Jesus' half-brother. But this James, we see he recognises Jesus as his Lord, even though it's his brother. We see that James recognised himself to be a servant. But who is it that James is writing to? Well, he says there, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Now, the 12 tribes was often the common way of referring to God's people. Particularly, it was the, uh, the Jews, the Jewish nation, the 12 tribes. But that's a, I think James is using it as, as a way to to tell us he's preaching to the, the kind of the Jewish church scattered out from Jerusalem, the dispersion that he's talking about. But also, we know that this letter is for all of God's people, not just the Jews, but all of God's people, even for us today, this morning in Benigo. But what is James's message to this church? Well, I think there's 
two things I want to kind of get into this morning. The first thing is how we are to think about our trials. And the second thing is what do we do in our trials? Look, verse 2, James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, I want you to notice straight up here that James says, count it joy when we meet trials. Not if we meet trials. Trials are actually a normal, everyday, expected part of the Christian life. For a Christian, we shouldn't expect that somehow we're not going to face trials. Now, James expects God's people to face trials. He says, count it joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various various kinds. And maybe you are in the moment going through some particular trial in your life. Maybe you're wondering, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to get through this thing? Later in this chapter, verse 12, James writes, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast on the trial, for when he stood the test he will receive the crown of life. And you might be thinking, standing the test of this trial, I can't see how I'm going to get through this thing. How am I going to stand the test? How am I going to endure whatever trial I'm in? Well, the first way to getting through trials, I think James says, is we need to learn to count the trial as joy. That's how we're supposed to think about our, our trials, count them as joy. Now, at this point, I don't think James is telling us how we should feel about our trial. He's telling us how we should think about it. He's saying, count it joy, or another translation says, consider it joy. Now, James is not saying, you know, put on a a smile and a happy face and pretend like the thing that you're going through is amazing and, and it compares with any joyful experience in your life. I don't think he's saying that. But he's saying there's a way we need to think about our trials if we're going to get through them. But notice also, he says, that trials come in various kinds. Notice he doesn't define what trials are. He doesn't say here are what the trials are and, and only these things. You know, sometimes I think we can be tempted to kind of compare things we go through in life. You know, I was in isolation this week. That was really hard. Well, yeah, but I lost my spouse this week. He doesn't, like, say... He's not trying to rank what trials are more significant than other things. Like, he's just saying trials come in various kinds, and, and that's okay. I mean, two people can go through exactly the same experience, and for one person... It might be really hard, and for another person it might be fine. But I think James helpfully doesn't define trials here. He's just saying, whatever trial you're going through, if it's a trial for you, it's a trial. But you might think, how are you going to do that? Like, count them joy. I mean, are you serious, James? How am I going to do that? Well, have a look at verse 3. He tells us why we should think about our trials. It's joyful. He explains, he says, 
you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, James's point, I think, is really simple. He says, trials, whichever trials we go through, trials test our faith. And he says, it's this testing of our faith that actually produces in us steadfastness. Our trials produce in us perseverance so that we might be complete. In other words, he's saying our trials actually shape us. They transform us. Now, I don't know if you're a gym junkie. I'm, I'm not, clearly, obviously. But I understand the concept of, of exercising, right? And if you ever go to the, to the gym and you put your muscles through a workout, that can be really hard. And you might think, why am I doing this? But any time I have actually done exercise in my life, I've actually been grateful afterwards. Even though at the time I'm not really grateful, I'm thinking, you're crazy, Ryan, why are you doing this? But afterwards, you know, you go for a, a run and it can... But afterwards you go, I'm glad I went through that. That was really good for me because I, I know that the thing that I went through was actually producing good. It was actually doing something good for me. It was transforming my body. But James is saying likewise. Like going through a workout transforms us. Like going through a workout shapes and moulds our muscles. He says going through trials in life, going through hardships, Count them joy because actually God is using that to make us stronger. He's using that to transform our faith. He's using it to make us more like Jesus. It's because of that that we should consider it trial. He's not saying trials aren't painful. He's not saying that trials are going to feel good at the time. He's saying, think about what they're achieving. I mean, no one gets fit going through a life of ease. Trust me, I've tried. It doesn't work. But in a similar way, no one becomes more like Jesus. No one becomes more Christ-like by just living a life of ease either. And so God, he sends us trials to transform our character. And Paul actually says something similar in, in Romans chapter 5. He says, Paul in Romans 5 verse 3 says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. James is not saying that we should pretend like our trials don't hurt. It's actually natural and normal what they do. It's not necessarily the trials that we're to count joyful. It's what God's achieving through the trials. Because James is saying God is using those hardships. He's using those hard things for good. Trials are an opportunity to develop a faith in us that's mature, that's complete, not lacking anything. And what could be more valuable than that, actually being more like Jesus? Now, he's not saying it's going to be easy to count trials as joy. 
It may be that whatever you're going through, it's going to be really hard, right? You're not naturally going to think it as, as joyful. I, I think for myself, like, just if I can share a personal trial. The nature of what I do, so I work on campus in uni ministry, but as part of that, I have to raise my own support. I'm only able to do that work because Christians graciously support me. They give money. But that's really hard for me to be dependent on other people. That's not something I naturally look forward to. I don't like talking to people about money. I don't like saying, would you support me? Because of my own pride. You know, I, I don't want to be dependent on others. I've had to learn to actually view that as a good thing. It's been a challenge for me. And I, I know that the board of reforming, you know, constantly having to look at the, the budget and the giving and the not lining up, and it's hard to be dependent on God and to have to um, trust in him. But God is actually saying, in these hard things, it, like, I know how I would like life to go, I know... But God's actually done something else and, and it's a challenge to actually think of these hard things as, as joyful. Let's consider this as an opportunity for joy. I don't naturally do that and I assume that you don't either. But as someone who's been constantly dependent on God to provide, as much as that is hard for me, I can look at God's track record that God has been amazingly gracious to me. He has always provided, not always what I've wanted, but he's always provided for me the things that I've needed. But I don't know about you. Maybe there's something particular that you're going through at the moment. Maybe it's some conflict that you're going through. Maybe it's a health problem. Maybe your work situation's a challenge. Maybe, yeah, whether that's your situation at work or your situation because you don't have work. Maybe your marriage is just in a really hard season. Maybe you're battling loneliness. Whatever it is that you're going through, and there's no doubting that we will all go through things, Are you going to let God's word encourage you to transform your thinking about what God's actually doing through that? How God's using it to make you more like Jesus, to be more dependent on him? Well, that's the first thing I think this morning in this passage. God wants us to change how we think about our trials, how we do think about them, think about them as joy because of what God's achieving in and through them. But the second thing I think this passage tells us this morning is what do we do in the midst of a trial? It's easy to tell us how we should think. What do I do? Because when you go through hard things, it can be natural, I think, that kind of let them overwhelm you. And, you know, you can feel anxious and overwhelmed and like you lose your bearings and you can be paralysed and disoriented and all these kinds of things. How do you cope in those moments? Well, it's not surprising at this point, I think, that James says, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, 
Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So when life is overwhelming, when you don't know what to do, ask God. That's what James says. Ask God for help. You see, a trial is not a moment where you've got to prove yourself about how mature you are by the fact that you can handle things by yourself. Spiritual maturity is not about proving that we don't need God by trying to take care of ourselves. Quite the opposite, in fact. And trials especially, I think, are moments in life where we're not supposed to know exactly what to do. Because here, James both assumes that we'll need wisdom, but also that we'll lack wisdom. And so that's why he counsels us to go to God and to ask God to provide us with wisdom. We're supposed to feel like we need God's help. That's actually another reason why trials are so good for us. Because partly what they do is they clarify that, in fact, we do need God and God's help. Trials clarify our dependence on God. Trials actually bring us to our knees, which is actually the best place that we can be in. We're not, you're not letting anyone down if you need to ask for help. Particularly not letting anyone down if you need to go to God and ask him for help. And, I mean, why wouldn't we go to God and ask for help when you see what God is like? Do you see what, what James says there? That God gives generously to all without reproach. You see, when, you, when you're in trouble and you need help, God is not stingy in the way that he answers prayers. God actually delights in being generous to all, you see. God's wisdom is not just for a privileged few Christians. See what this is saying? God gives his wisdom generously to all. All you have to do is ask him for it. God is ready to give his wisdom without finding fault. He's not looking for a reason to deny you his wisdom. He's not shaking his head at you as you come asking him for his wisdom. James is actually reminding us of what kind of God it is that we're going to. That God is a God who's generous. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, Jesus says this. He says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts? things to those who ask him. God knows what it is to give good things. And we see that God is a generous God. All you have to do is look at the gospel, look at Jesus' death in our place to know that God is good and that God is generous beyond belief, beyond what we deserve. And I'll come back to this in a moment. But having said that, it may be surprising, even shocking to you what James says next. He says, verse 6, 
but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I don't know how you feel about that. Reading that might make you feel uneasy. We must not doubt. (laughs) What Christian hasn't at some point had doubts? Does this mean that any Christian who doubts in some point that God can't, well, they can't expect anything from God? No, I, I don't think that's what James is saying. One of my favourite movies as a kid, I used to watch it all the time with my brothers, was a movie called Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's been out for like over 30 years now, so I'm going to spoil it for you, too bad. But anyway, in this movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, there's a scene towards the end of the film, and in this movie, basically, Indiana Jones, he's on a quest to, uh, to recover the Holy Grail. He needs to get it to save his father. And at the end of this movie, he has to go through all these tests and he comes to this moment where there's a massive cavern, a chasm, like a big deep ravine thing, and it seems like there's no way across. He can't see a way to get there. But he needs to get across this chasm somehow to save his father. And so he, he starts telling himself it's, it's a test of faith. And he goes, I must believe, I must believe, I must believe... And then all of a sudden he takes this kind of step out in faith and when you think he's going to fall down, he actually discovers that there's this kind of hidden path, this bridge that goes across and it's been there all along. Is that what James wants for us? Is is he wants to just take some, some kind of deep step out into the, you know, into nowhere where we kind of, have to psych ourselves up and tell myself, yeah, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. I, I don't think that's what James is talking about here. And the reason I say that is because I think he's using the word doubt in a very specific way here. I think he goes on to explain what he means. And as always, when you're reading the scripture, context is key, right? I think it's clear from the context that what he's talking about is a person who doubts is a person who's got split loyalties. He says the one who doubts is like a double-minded, unstable, um, a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So, uh, James, I think, is talking about here a person who's kind of hedging their bets. You know, someone who kind of says they want to follow God, but they also want to follow the world at the same time. You know, they'll ask God for wisdom but they don't really want to follow God's wisdom. You know, such, such a person is kind of unstable. I think I just have a little bit of God's wisdom, a little bit of the world's wisdom, I'll take the best of both. And, and James says that actually living like that makes you unstable. Can you imagine a person, one person, they've got their foot in a boat and their other foot's on the land and the, the boat's kind of... Slipping, <laughs> drifting away, and you're going to end up in the water, right? You're unstable. You can't have a, a foot in both camps, right? 
If you do that, you're going to be unstable, tossed to and fro by the waves of the sea, James says. So I think what James is saying is, he says, if you want to receive God's wisdom, you need to be prepared to follow God's wisdom. If you are genuinely seeking to know what God would have you do, then we should trust that God is going to answer that prayer, right? Even though it might be difficult, if you're sincerely trying to do God's will, if you sincerely want God's wisdom, God promises that he'll give that. Now, I don't think James is saying that somehow that we're always going to magically feel some kind of flash of insight and we're going to know everything and, you know... I know that I've lots of times have prayed for asking God for wisdom. And I haven't felt any wiser after doing it. Case in point, over the last year or so, I know with the elders at church, there's been many times where we've prayed for wisdom that God would help us to know what to do in in different circumstances. What do we do when when we have to work out uh, who we're going to allow to have at church, whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated. What do you do? What's the right thing to do? Are we going to turn people away? Are we going to do this? Are we going to do that? We've, we've had lots of times where circumstances, what do we do? We've prayed for, for wisdom. We pray that God would change the circumstances, even. that he would allow bigger gatherings, that he would allow more people. Now, has we felt like, we've, yeah, God has just opened part of the heavens and shouted, this is what you have to do, no. Sometimes I think when we ask God for wisdom, the answer is not always clear and obvious what we should do. But I think there's a difference between receiving God's wisdom and feeling wise. They're not necessarily the same thing. God doesn't promise here that when we pray for wisdom that we're going to feel wise we may feel no more confident than we were before we prayed. But I do think when we pray to God, sincerely asking him for his wisdom, that God will guard our steps, that he'll protect us from folly. And so you, maybe you're going through something really hard at the moment and you don't know what to do. Ask God. Ask God that he would help you to know the way, that he would help you to know what to do. But last of all, I think praying for wisdom is not just about praying for insight and information and discernment. Although those are good things, and I think that's part of it. But I also think and we read in God's word that wisdom is actually personal. Wisdom is found in a person. In, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, Paul says this. He says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, 
which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Did you catch that? All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus. To receive wisdom from God is to receive Jesus. Wisdom is found in him. And so when you pray for God to give you wisdom in your circumstances, God's going to give you Jesus to be with you. Jesus is with us in whatever circumstance we're going through. Whatever circumstance you're in, you don't have to go through it alone. Jesus is there with us. He's there with us and he also helps us to rest in who he is and what he's done for us. See, Jesus knows what it's like to go through trials. Jesus is not someone who doesn't understand what hardship is like in life. Jesus knows what it's like to feel betrayed by his friends. Jesus knows what it's like to experience injustice and pain and shame because Jesus went through all that on the cross for us. Do you ever wonder how Jesus endured the cross? What was it that made Jesus go through with that? He says, well, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says, Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus actually counted the cross as joy. Not because it was joyful for him, but he counted it as joy as he looked to what God was going to achieve in and through the cross. As he looked to what God was going to accomplish, he was able to get through that. And James calls us to something similar, right? See, Jesus' death on the cross, God actually is amazingly generous to us. Jesus endured all that trial of the cross, God's judgment, so that we wouldn't have to. And in this, God's most generous gift to us, in his son, we, we see that we have forgiveness of our sins, we have new life, we have hope in his rising from the dead. And we see that God gives us his spirit to help us in our weaknesses, which Alyssa read for us in Romans 8. Romans 8. Verse 31 says this, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God's actually been generous to us in giving us his most precious gift, his son. And if he's given us that, how is he going to not graciously give us everything else? Paul says at the end of that chapter, he says, I'm convinced, I'm sure, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord.
We aren't to think that life is going to be easy. We shouldn't think that we aren't going to go through hard things. We will, and that's, that is hard. But as we think about the circumstances that God is putting us through, know that he's only doing it for our good. He's not giving us anything that we can't bear with, with him. You know. Jesus says that his burden is easy. You know. I wonder, do you know the joy of knowing Jesus? Have you received Jesus, God's wisdom? Perhaps you've been double-minded in the way that you've thought about Jesus in the past. You kind of, kind of want to take Jesus, but not really. Well, I want to say to you, if you're trying to get through the hardships of life by yourself, without Jesus, I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know how I would get through life without Jesus, without having the surety of what he's done for me and this hope of of a future. If you feel like this morning God is calling you to himself, maybe you're going through something really hard and you go, God, help me. If If that's you, then I pray that you would go to God and that you would receive him and you would see what he's given you in Jesus. How about I pray that he'd help us to do that? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do know that life is hard at times and it hurts. And we don't need to pretend like it doesn't hurt. And we don't need to pretend like we've got it all together. And we don't need to pretend like we don't need your help. In fact, you want us to come to you and ask you for help. We pray those moments when we feel most lost, most overwhelmed, that we wouldn't try to get through life on our own, but that we'd go to you and that we would know what it is to have you for us. To know that you're actually only allowing us these things to happen because you're using them for our good to make us more like your son. And we thank you and pray all this in his name. Amen.